0: Take your copy of the Bible and open to the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew seven, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Whether you know it or not, you know, God is always speaking. and He's always speaking to you. I read this beautiful biography. I've mentioned it a lot of times to you. It's called A Severe Mercy. It's an autobiography of a guy who came to know the Lord. He and his wife came to know the Lord. And, um, in the autobiography, he, he wrote about a, a time when he had, a, when he looked back on when he came to know the Lord, he realized that God had been tugging on his heart for a long time. Matter of fact, he, he said it this way in, in his autobiography, I suspected that the yearnings for I knew not what that I had, that I had ever felt when autumn leaves are burning in the twilight, "...when wild geese flew crying overhead, when I looked up at bare branches against the stars, when spring arrived on an April morning, I suspected all the yearnings for I knew not what were in truth yearnings for Him, they were yearnings for God, I year, yearned towards God." When he was a young man, he, he met this woman and they eventually married and they were going to study in Oxford. They were from uh, Indiana and eventually from Virginia, but they were going to study at Oxford in England. And this was what uh, during a time when he didn't know it at the time, but God was making himself known to him and kind of drawing himself to God. And he got on the ship. He and his wife were on this ship, and they found out that a lady that was on the ship, a passenger liner, had had her purse stolen, and she was traveling for like a year, so she had, back then it was in the 40s, and back then she had like $400 stolen from her, with a, a large amount of money back then. And she wasn't about to get it back. And they went to the purser, and they said, well, there are 400 people on the ship. Why don't you ask everybody on the ship to give $1 and restore this lady's money to her, and she'll be happy. And the purser said, well... The, 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 uh, I'm not allowed to do that, but if you want to do it, you can. And they said, oh, no, no, we're shy. We we could never do that. And they walked away. And then while they walked away, they thought to themselves, wait a minute. Why don't we just do that? And they went back and they said, okay, we'll do it. So this couple who, who didn't know the Lord, they were not Christians. As a matter of fact, they specifically said they were not Christians, began to do this Christian thing. And they began to get money, and everybody donated. Some didn't donate. Some donated more. They, they gathered over $400. They gave it back to the lady, and they, they gave it to the purser. And they said to the purser, don't tell her who did this. We want it to be a secret. But the word got out, and she came and thanked them. And here's the thing they noticed, though. They said the odd thing was that when we were taking up the money, people just kept saying, so are you Christians? Are you a Christian? Are you doing this because you're a Christian? And they said, Why do you have to be a Christian to do nice things? It's interesting that people associated that kind of giving, that kind of kindness with with Christians. And it, it was a part of God's tugging them to Himself. There was this fragrance of burning leaves in the fall. There was the haunting cry of geese overhead on an autumn night. There were yearnings for I do not know what. And there were these circumstances, like people attributing to you Christian uh, motives when you're not Christian at all. And then there were the friends at Oxford. They didn't really particularly like Christian people. They, they avoided Christian people. They had a prejudice against Christian people. They, they said so. They thought Christian people were narrow, ignorant, um, you know, bound by odd, ancient myths. and So they avoided Christians. They didn't know Christians well enough to know that wasn't necessarily always true about Christians. But then they had a cluster of Christian friends that they met at Oxford that destroyed their stereotypes about Christians. And it was also a part of bringing them to the Lord. There was uh, the uh, yearnings for you know not what. And there was the Uh, circumstance on the ship and then there were these Christians that they couldn't explain in the book of severe mercy Sheldon Van Auken wrote talking about these Christians these were our first friends in Oxford they were our close friends more to the point perhaps they all five were keen deeply committed Christians but we liked them so much that we forgave them for it We began, hardly knowing we were doing it, to revise our opinions, not of Christianity so much, but of Christians. Our fundamental assumption, which we had been pleased to regard as an intelligent insight, had been that all Christians were necessarily stuffy, hidebound, stupid, people who you need to keep your distance from. We had kept our distance so successfully, indeed, that we didn't know anything about real Christians. Now that assumption had soundlessly collapsed, and the sheer quality of of the Christians that we met at Oxford shattered our stereotype. The sheer quality of the Christians we met shattered our stereotype. It's an interesting phrase. And thenceforward, a reference in a book or a conversation of someone's being a Christian called up an entirely new image to us. Moreover, the astonishing fact sunk home Our own contemporaries could be at once highly intelligent, civilized, witty, fun to be with, and Christian at the same time. Imagine. Well, so, um, how is it with you? This is a series what we call Walk With Me. It's Jesus saying, will you walk with me? Will you be my disciple? Will you go where I go? Will you act like I act? Will you do what I do? Will you love what I love? Will you walk with me? Will you be my follower? Will you be my disciple? This is, what, this is the simple thing that Jesus calls us to do. It's humanly impossible, but he will inspire us and he will empower us to do it. He died on the cross and was buried and rose again to make it possible for us to walk with him, to be followers of Jesus. And in the series of messages, which is coming to a close today, a, a grand finale, if you will, um, the series has been about. What would it look like if a group of people really did live like Jesus? What would it look like if a group of people really did act like Jesus? If a group of people really did walk with Jesus? What an exciting... What Imagine that. Imagine a people who really followed Jesus. Imagine a place where people gathered and they really did take the commands of Jesus seriously... Understand that Jesus inspires and empowers them to obey those commands. And as a group, they obey those commands. What a wonderful place that would be. Imagine that. Imagine a people like that. Imagine a place like that. Well, We've got to bring the series to a conclusion. Next week, we're talking about Thanksgiving. And then in December, there'll be Christmas messages all throughout December. In uh, January, on January 1st, and listen up on this, on January 1st, we're going to begin a series of messages in the the New Testament epistle of Ephesians. And we're going to preach through Ephesians, verse at a time, right through the whole book from the 1st of January until Palm Sunday. We're going to actually ask all of you that are in Grow Groups to join us in Ephesians in your Grow Group and do a sermon-based Grow Group. We're going to give you study notes Uh, to take to your grow group so that this is the way it would be ideally is that we preach in ephesians on sunday morning and then as a group or as a family or as a couple you study ephesians during the week and then you come back the next week and we move to the next chunk and we work work our way you know through ephesians but for today since we can't go through every one of the commands of christ there are probably 300 commands of christ if they were categorized and clustered together many bible scholars would say maybe there are 45 or 50 if you include all the commands of the New Testament, which would be appropriate. You just have a number of commands, but why do we say the commands are important? Because it's what a disciple is, is a person who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who's born again, and under the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit, obeys the commands of Christ. Where do we get that? We get that from the passage we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, when Jesus, in the post-resurrection appearance, says, I want you now to go into all the world, and I want you to make disciples, or you know, other apprentices, if you will, make, teach them to follow me and obey my command. And he says, and, and, and baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe my commands. Teach them to be people who don't just memorize my commands or know my commands or admire my commands but actually do my commands. Think of the simplicity and the beauty of that and that's what the whole Come, Grow, service is all about. Come is church. We, in our, this is a process of discipleship that we kind of map out so you'll understand it. Come is, you come to an assembly like this every week and you, and you come to worship God and show honor to God in, an, in the assembly. It's what church is. And then you, a grow would be when you get in a little cluster of Christians, whether it's a two or three or whether it's a grow group or whether it's an ABF or it's a group of men or it's a group of women or it's a couple or you have a prayer partner. But, you, you know, to grow you need more than just uh, the, the power of the teaching of the Word of God publicly. You need the person application and the doing of the word of God and so we say go from the big group to the little group and then from the little group the small group the grow group we call them grow groups from there you look for a place to serve and you do it together with others it's like a we kind of like to call that a missional team but it can be whatever you call it it's where you're actually engaged in the Jesus movement where you say hey I believe that Jesus came and he's God and he, he died for my sins and was buried and rose again and I trust him to forgive me of my sins and now I'm a part of the Jesus movement I want to be his follower I love this idea of a of, of groups of people all across the world and all across time that are obeying his commands and he's going to inspire me and empower me to do that I love that you know and you say I want to be a part of that so that's the come grow serve idea do you get that and that's our plan. That's our process, our discipleship process here at the church is kind of what we're encouraging. You say, why not try I quite see it that way? It's okay if you don't. Because what happens is that if you are got your roots in the Word and the Holy Spirit lives in you, then your life's going to look kind of like that anyway. We're just kind of giving you tracks to follow. We want to give you the keys to your own ministry, get it? We don't want to just you hear me talk all the time. You should listen to me talk a little bit. Then you should go and you can get your own little group of Jesus followers and inspire them and help them and encourage them. You have your own ministry. You say, well, I'm not really a good talker. Go recruit a talker and you make the cake. Or or you invite people over to your house and set the table. Or, or you go work on the breaks and somebody else comes along. Anyway, you know that. We've talked about that. But today, what I want to do, because we want to bring this series to a finale... As we want to go skating over a whole bunch of the commands of Christ. It won't take us too long. But where would you go? If I were to say to you, where would you go in the Bible to find a beautiful cluster of Jesus' commands? Where would you go? Well, you know, already I told you we're in Matthew 5 through 7. And that's one of the first discourses of the five discourses of the Gospel of Matthew. And it's popularly known as the Sermon on the Mount. So I want you to take your Bible today and I want you to look at the Sermon on the Mount and with, with whatever time that we have to do this in the next two or three hours, what we want to do is we just want to go through, just kidding if you're new, that was my attempt at humor, which never really works and I don't even know why I keep doing that. But I want you to imagine with me. I want you to dream with me. I want you to think with me. What would it be like if God's people went back to this simple model of just being like Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit? Imagine what a group of... Uh, people like that would be like imagine what it would be like we should let's get excited about that again and we want to use the sermon on the mount to show you what that would be like and so here we go number one imagine a place where people glorify god by doing simple good works that's what jesus said there in matthew 5:13. you're the salt of the earth if the salt has lost its taste how shall its saltiness be restored it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out trampled under people's feet you are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light so sh- let your light shine before others so they may. This is where it gets really concrete. See your good works. All that salt and light business is a little bit abstract. What does he mean, salt? What does he mean, light? And then he gets down to the particulars, and that is, when you do good works, you are being the salt, you are being the light. What a beautiful thing it would be if a group of people got together and they said, because we're Jesus' followers, we're going to be the light of the world by doing good works. Just simple good works. So a guy named Jim, he goes to this church up, uh, near, uh, up in um, Waterford a, couple, a number of years ago, uh, 35 or so years ago. He's a kid. And he actually, um, somebody comes and picks him up. His parents don't go. They're, at the time, their uh, family's having trouble. So this kid goes, and he just causes trouble. You know, they, they actually bring him on a bus to, to church. And he just causes, his name's Jim, he just causes trouble. You know? and, and, uh, and there's a deacon there that's always on him. Jim notices this deacon, he's kind of a mean deacon, it's always on him. The guy's always, you know, he's never smiling, he's always on him, he's like, don't run in church, kind of a deacon guy, you know, and he's always calling him out, you know, and finally this deacon comes up to Jim, true story, and he says to him, don't come back here anymore. Till you learn how to behave in church, you don't need to come back here anymore. And so he says to him, yeah, you're not behaving, and you're going to have to go. So Jim goes home, and then when he gets a little bit older, he has a tug on his heart to come back to church. And he comes back, and it's like a revival service, and the guy's preaching, and he basically says he's going to give an invitation for salvation, and Jim is already a Christian, but he also says, and I want to give an invitation for any of you who feel led of the Lord to to follow the Lord in the ministry, and to be a pastor, a full-time Christian worker, and Jim feels a tug on his heart, and he goes forward, and he kneels down at the altar, and he looks over, and here comes Mr. Mean Deacon Guy. Who comes and and he thinks to himself, This guy is just plaguing me. He won't leave me alone. He's always down on me. He's always looking at me. He's always got his eye on me. Because he said every time he would look around that deacon, I'd be looking at him like, you know, I know who you are, and I know what you're about. And the deacon says, Why did you come forward? And he goes, I want to surrender my life to the ministry. And the deacon says, I've had my eye on you for a lot of years. And he goes, Yeah, I know. He goes, No, he goes, No, he goes, no I've always known that God was going to use you in a great way. And I told my wife, my wife and I decided that when you surrender for the ministry, we're going to pay your way to Bible college. And he says, and you're going to need a car to get there. He sent him to a Bible college in Texas. He paid his way. The guy came back and eventually became the youth pastor at that church. The church wasn't doing very well. Uh, the pastor left, and they, they, they decided to vote on this youth guy, this guy Jim, to vote on him to be the pastor. I think he, he got the vote like 51-49, and the 49 left the church. So now he's got this little struggling church, and it runs five 6,000 today. If you go there, it's kind of a crazy going-on place. Mr. Mean Deacon paid his way. Don't you love stories like that? Why do you love stories like that? Because what Jesus said is true. When you do good works, it's like you glorify God. It's like you're the light of the world. That should inspire us. I want to be the mean deacon. Not, not mean, but generous, right? I want to be the guy that says, I see... God and you, I, I, I believe in you. Uh, Jay Cooper is um, a, a man who's come faithfully to our church once a month and taught about 50 kids for, for a long, long time. He's been with what they call uh, Real Bible Mission. It's a children's ministry. It's a lot of things, but part of it is a children's ministry. And they do the release time Bible classes, and they do it from Eureka Heights School right here, and they bring the students into our building once a month, and he just gives them the gospel and tells them the stories. He's really a faithful guy. I asked him to come to my study the other day because we wanted to meet with the missions Committee. We want you to meet him a little bit more. Some of you know him. Came to my study, and I asked him to tell me his story. Same thing. He's from New Mexico. He said a guy in the church had his eye on him and said when he surrendered to the ministry, he said, I'm going to pay, and literally paid his way. I, 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 when I heard this story, I thought, where were these guys when I was working third shift, washing dishes? Um, and, and yet, I got to tell you, when I went to Fremont, and the people say, "Well, you don't have any seminary," I'd love, I'd love to have it. They paid my way through seminary. The people in Fremont. Matter of fact, here's a little funny little story. I passed first pastor first pastors in Fremont, the church with the ugliest carpet known to mankind on planet Earth it was so ugly, it looked like I imagined a casino, which I'd never been in, but I imagined you would put carpet like that in a really bad casino. It was such ugly carpet, you know. And, and, and they wouldn't change it. They were stubborn about that, you know. They, they gave money to missions. They did a lot of other things, but they wouldn't change I'm like, we got to change the carpet, you know. They're like, it's not worn out yet. And a lot of the folks were Dutch. Dutch people, they just don't replace the carpet until it wears out. That's what I know about Dutch people. I don't know. And so they were like, if you're Dutch, don't hurt me. I was just being trying to be funny there. It's a kind of a prejudice joke. You shouldn't do that, should you? Anyway, so I, I was online a couple of years ago, and I noticed the carpet, and and I thought, I will kid about it. a will make fun of it a little bit, you know, that they didn't change the carpet. And then I got to thinking about it, and I thought, well, Hope over here, that she sang on the worship team when she was born, we were going to have like a home birth. We'd had it with other kids. It was actually a little midwife thing. We're going to go to this thing. I think the people in the church thought we couldn't afford a regular birth, so they went, to, they went into a secret session without our knowledge, and they, they backdated our insurance so that we could have Hopey at the Gerber Memorial Hospital. Those pushy Dutch people paid for a little hope to be born instead of replacing the carpet. And when they found out that I got accepted into seminary, they also paid for me to go to seminary, which you guys wouldn't have let me come be the pastor here if they hadn't done that. Because that was a requirement that God knew about. So I don't make fun of the carpet at First Baptist in Fremont. I thank God for the people. Now, they have replaced the carpet. They did that after I left just to irritate me. But uh, that's how that works. Don't you just love it when you hear stuff like that? Why is that? Because what Jesus said is true. Imagine a a, a group of people that are committed to doing good works and giving. Imagine a, a, a place where you can go where people do good works. It's like the light of the world. It's like the salt of the earth. It's a beautiful thing. Isn't that interesting? Imagine a place like that. That's in chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Imagine a place where people teach the law, but they resist legalism. It's exactly what Jesus says in chapter 5 and verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, an iota, a dot, will not pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least commandments and teaches others to do the same will called the least in the kingdom of God. But listen to this. Whoever does and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, if you get the law wrong and you're a legalist, I'm going to call you out. He says, that, uh, he says uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Legalism is bad. Jesus continually warns us about adding to the scriptures. But the law is good. The schoolmaster that brings us to Christ and leaves us you know, at the foot of the cross, that's good. And so... Imagine being among people who take the law of God very, very seriously. Who take the commands of God very, very seriously. Who take righteousness very, very seriously. And yet, they resist legalism. They, res- they, they, they are aware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, what a place. What a people, right? Imagine a people. Imagine a place like that. We could go, we could go on and on here. Um, give you lots of more examples. Imagine, like, for instance, it says in James, you know, true religion is to visit people in their affliction. Imagine people who visit people in their affliction. A lady in our church, you you probably know when I tell this, some of you are going to know who I'm talking about. She wouldn't mind it at all. She prayed for her husband to be soundly saved for years. You know, he's a good guy. Um, kind of made professional faith through the years, but wasn't really sound in his, in his, his salvation. And she prayed for years and years and years, and he had a heart surgery not so long ago, and two of her friends went to visit him, and he told me, that's when I got saved. And he's here almost every week now. She almost can never come. A few weeks ago, a unique thing happened. Both of them were able to be here together in the same service. And I noticed that she wrote on Facebook, what a wonderful thing after all these years to be able to be in church with my husband. Now, why is that? Because two ladies went and called on him, and they showed love to him. Imagine a place. Imagine a people who visit people when they're afflicted. How beautiful is that, right? Um, You look for people to serve. You don't look for people to serve you. you. People around here serving all the time, driving buses, Uh, Back in the Godding Hands Pregnancy Refuge, uh, they've been working on a remodel back in there and and working hard. Lots of labor has gone into that and painting and organizing. They're going to hang cabinets and put in carpet and every Monday night, every Tuesday, a bunch of people. You talk about a missional team. That is a hopping thing. So last Monday, I just kind of breezed through, right? I wasn't working. I just walked through. I walked through and they had the, the children's ministry because the, the, the folks bring the kids and the kids go in, into a special ministry and the, the young people were ministering to those kids. Um, so, um, Nathan Bell was one of those, uh, young people. And, uh, Nathan, are you here? Where's, where's Nathan? i call him out here. Where, where's Nathan? He's working in, yeah. Are you up, upstairs? Is he here? It's safe. Somebody's pointing. Oh, he's, are you running lights? Hey, Nathan, right over there. Okay. So Nathan, um, he makes my day. So I walk in, and he sees me, and he goes, Pastor Pierpont, come in and tell a story right away. And so I go, okay, I will tell you that was work. I'm not kidding. That was work. And I walked away. I told, you know, I pulled out my best storytelling skill, and I was like, oh, my word. When I left, I was like, "I I broke a sweat doing that. I was like, wow, those were a bunch of lively, wonderful kids back in there. Most of you don't even know that those young people are back there serving like that. On Monday night, because like we're watching football or something, right? What a a wonderful thing to be a part of a place, a part of a people who really do obey the commands of Jesus, who love the law of God, but they hate legalism. Imagine a place where people teach the law and, and resist legalism. Oh, let let me keep going. Imagine a place... I'm going to go really fast now. Imagine a place where people are kind and forgiving in their conduct and in their speech, which Jesus says there in verse 21 uh, through 26. You know, He's talking about the importance of not letting anger take over your life and being reconciled. That's what our nation needs right now. We've got a lot of hurt, angry people. And we need Christians to be like Jesus and desire reconciliation genuinely and sincerely. That's important. And you can say that's not real. It is real. So now is the time for Christians to be, well, Christian and like Jesus and act like Jesus and be like Jesus and talk like Jesus and, be, and have a Christ like. And that would mean that they have a respect for all human beings. Look at, look at there in, um, in verse of uh, chapter uh, five, um, in, uh, verse uh, 21, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say, whoever's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to hell hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift, therefore, before the altar, go and be reconciled to your brother. Reconciliation is important to Jesus. He wants us to be together. He wants us to work to get along. Isn't it interesting? specifically uh, says that Jesus says, if you look over in chapter 5 and verse 43, where, he's ta- where Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount about um, loving your enemies, which is really a, a counterintuitive thing to do, he says, if you, in verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Not even task collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even Gentiles do the same. To them, Gentiles were all bad people, right? He's saying it's natural for you to like people that are like you. It's natural for you to get along with people that you understand that are like you. But people that aren't like you, that you don't understand, then when you are reconciled to them, when you show understanding to them, when you show respect for them, then you're doing something that's uniquely Christ-like. That's what our church should be. Imagine a place with people like that. Imagine a people like that. Imagine a place where people are pure in their behavior and speech and in their secret thought life. Chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. They're true to their maids. Chapter 5 verse 31. Imagine a place. Imagine a people. A people who keep their word. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Imagine a place where people don't retaliate against their enemies, but they go the second mile. They do something more. And they love their enemies. They pray for their enemies. They do good for their enemies. Imagine a people like that. Imagine a place. Imagine a place where people give and pray and fast, but they do it without, you know, um, not to be known. They do it to be intimate with the Lord, not to be known as, you know, righteous people. Imagine that. You know, chapter 7 and verse 1, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, don't judge, don't be judgmental, don't be eager to judge or condemn other people. Well, even the world will tell you that's the thing that they hate the most about people who claim to be Christians and they have hypocrisy in their life and they're eager to damn and condemn other people. They're telling us that, you know. So what about a place where they don't do that? What about a place where they're quicker to be discerning about their own failures and faults and, and patient with other people while they're working through their problems? That would be an attractive place. Am I right? See, this is just what we're talking about. This is a Jesus place. This is a Jesus movement thing. This is, a, this is what Christians who are walking with Jesus would do. Imagine a place where people lay up treasures in heaven by being generous with others. What it says there in chapter 6 and, and verse uh, 19, don't lay up treasures. For yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The next phrase is basically, don't be greedy, but be generous. All right. So when he's saying lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven and not on earth, what is he basically saying? Practically, he's saying, be generous, give, give to other people. Now, so when I ask people to give me an example of a time when people were like Christ like to you, a lot of times it's about giving. By the way, I want to tell you this, commend you. Last Sunday morning, you guys gave an offering larger than any other offering given all year long. Thank you for that. Bless your heart. That's really wonderful. And on top of that, the church this year, over and above their regular giving, which were almost on budget, not quite. But Over and Above Your Regular Giving and this year gave $33,000 to the uh, audiovisual as a, and that was one of those maybe five or six major projects that our church needs to do. That's just the giving in the offering plate. I'm not talking about the giving that spills out of people's lives like the ladies that were, mostly ladies and men who work on the guiding hands Pregnancy Refuge I was talking with Amanda Durlakevich, who runs that this week, and she said to me, a lot of times we just, like, people that work there, when they see that somebody has a need, they just take the money out of their own pocket and give it. That happens all the time, and I don't always hear about it, well, I hear about it a lot. I was given counsel to a family once, and I said to them, you want to be involved in the church here, you want to be a part of things, you want to be a whole part of the network here, because there's so much good you can do for others and there's so much good that they can do for you. And they go, yeah, you're right. You mean Like the last time we were here, we ran into this guy who's sitting here today. And he came over to look at our furnace. And when he discovered what was wrong with our furnace, he said it's $300. And he could tell that we didn't have the $300 right then. So he said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to wire around this part so that it will run until you can get the money to fix it. And then he went away without charging them. I didn't even know that had happened because he didn't come and tell me that. And I'm embarrassing him right now. That's the church. That's the the Jesus movement. Now, you see, we don't really need to be more complex than that. We just need to say, that's what Jesus told his followers to do. Be like him. He will inspire us to do that. He will empower us to do that. He will be us to do that. Were you able to hear that? All right. So... So, you guys always find it's funny when I'm having trouble. Why is it? You're so mean. You should be like Jesus. I was thinking about Ken yesterday. A fellow named Ken Krause, a friend of ours. In 2002 when Lois and I and our family left First Baptist in Fremont, we went to to run this big hotel that's a Christian ministry and we got rid of a lot of our stuff. We literally took truckloads of our stuff and got rid of it and we gave away things and we threw away things and and uh, it was a hotel. We're going to run a hotel. We're going to live in a hotel. So in the hotel are going to be beds. So we ended up having all of our beds. We got rid of our beds, and we, we lived in the hotel, and we slept in the beds in our apartment there. A while later, when we left, we we were, we were coming here then after, after a while. Ken, who was a friend of ours, realized we didn't have any beds. Nobody else knew that, but he knew that we didn't have any beds. So everybody was, like, scrambling to buy beds. It was quite expensive for everybody to buy beds and box springs and mattress and you know the girls were kind of like well i'll buy mine and so and so and whatever and we said to the boys you guys could just sleep on the floor uh i'm just kidding about that anyway ken calls me on the phone ken Krause, talked to him yesterday because i thought about this and he says to me hey you guys don't have beds right and and he goes i just checking. like what what are you doing for beds i'm like oh we're working it out you know and I was explaining to him about what we were doing, and he goes, well, hey, I'd like to come down, and, and we'd like to go to Bob Evans for breakfast. And he said, I want to come down and take you. And he especially watched over Dan and Wes when Dan and Wes were little, running around that inn, this big 400-room inn. And I was always burned about them and whether I was being a bad dad and not taking good care of them. So I often confided in Ken, and Ken and I would often pray together, and Ken would often involve Daniel and Wesley in work projects so that they would be doing something productive while I was running the end. So I love Ken and I appreciate God bringing him into my life. And Ken loved Dana West. And so he came down and he brought us, took us to Bob Evans and he bought us breakfast. And then he said, I got something in my truck for you. And out in the back of his truck were two beautiful beds, brand new box springs and mattresses and beds and bedding for my boys. And he brought them and he put them down in our basement. You know, what a, what a, imagine a place where people did stuff like that. Imagine a people that do things like that. How could you resist the beauty of that? That's what I'm saying. I, I was talking to Dan and, and or to Chuck and my son Charles. who was a youth pastor up in Door County, and he said there was a guy in his church that said, "You know, when was the last time you changed oil on your car?" And he said it's probably overdue. And the guy says, "I want you to take it down to this place to have the oil changed, and I want you to drop it off, and they're going to have a loaner for you, and you can drive the loaner, and when you come, you can come back and pick it up later." Chuck says that he dropped his car off there to have the oil changed and he drove the loaner for a day. When he came back and picked it up, he had $500 worth of brand-new tires on his truck that that guy had bought for him. He said another guy in the church that owned a little hardware store gave him a a, a card for $100 and and Chuck bought himself a little electric fireplace for his apartment. And, And last night he told me, he says, I'm laying by the electric fireplace right now with my two daughters and I'm imagining what it's going to be like when I have a real fireplace. place. But right now, in his apartment, he still he has that gift is warming him that somebody gave to him out of love. Uh, my son Daniel was working in, in Texas, and he was lonely. It was before he was married. And he was lonely, and he was discouraged one day. And it was on a Sunday, and he went into a store, and he bought a shirt that he needed for work. And when he was walking out of the store, with, it, with he was lonely that day, and... He was checking out, and he said, the lady behind him tapped him on the shoulder, and she said, can I buy that shirt for you? You look like you could use a mother's love today. Dan says, well, yeah, you can do that. He told me later that a guy behind him was buying an assault rifle. This is Texas, right? The guy behind him was <laughs> buying an assault rifle and said, I think you need to pay it forward and pay for my gun. and dan said that'd be a little bit out of my price range but and he laughed but when he went out the truck dan said when he got out of the truck he just burst into tears because of the kindness why is it we love stories like that that's a jesus idea and a church is a community of people that are devoted to giving they're devoted to loving they're devoted to serving and not to being served that's a beautiful thing imagine a place like that it was christmas time and chuck was up there in door county and he was going to come home for christmas And he was counting his money just to make sure that he would have enough money, you know, to get home and maybe even to buy some gifts. And a family in the church invited him over for the evening, and they spent some time with him. And then when he went to go, they handed him this little box. It looked like maybe they had given him a gift of peanut brittle or maybe a gaudy tie or something like that. He said when he got home, he he sat in his little apartment. He opened up the box, and it had a gift of $1,000 in it for him. He was able to come home. I said, my gift was pretty modest that year. What did you do with that money? I was just kidding. Um, I could stand here, and I won't. I could stand here for hours, and I could tell you stories. I know that you, some of you, could tell me stories about Christian people who hurt you. And I could do that, too. And you know what? I've been the Christian person that's hurt other people, too. We can all tell stories like that, right? We can all tell, because we live in a broken, fallen world. But let me tell you, you will never find in all of God's green earth, a greater group of people than the people who call themselves Christians, who follow Jesus, who give and love and serve, who walk with Jesus. Imagine being that place. Imagine being that kind of people. That's what it's about. Imagine a place where people are careful to evaluate their own sins, slow to condemn others. A place where people treat others the way they want to be treated. That's Matthew 7, 12. A place where people are discerning. That's Matthew 7, 15 and following. Imagine a place where people really do obey the teaching of Jesus. This is the way Jesus said it. He goes, if you, everybody hears my teaching, right? If you hear my teaching and obey it, it's like you built your house on a rock. But if you hear my teaching and you don't obey it, it's like you built your house on sand. That's what the greatest mind that ever walked the earth said. The, The heart and mind of God in the person of Jesus Christ. What a place, what an attractive place. holidays, if it's, maybe it's this way in your house, it's this way in my house, holidays, Lois will always have foods that are, she'll put an apron on, the kids love it when she puts her apron on, and then she'll bake, and she'll just like look over her little books, and there'll be smells, and there'll be fragrances, and there'll be candles, there'll be gifts, there'll be, and everybody wants to be there. You know, you make your house like that, right, ladies? That's the way the church is supposed to be, to just kind of roll out the carpet of welcome to people, to love people, to accept people, to teach people, to help them to change, but to do it from a position of humility, right? And that makes it a very, very attractive place. Up at Lake Ann, they have, a, uh, they have a, uh, uh, maybe a policy or practice. It's kind of cool. Maybe I don't have it quite right. I've never seen it. I've heard about it a lot. But they know you're coming when you come up there, right? They know the group is coming. And so they train their workers to be waiting when the bus gets there. And the kids literally, is this true that you guys have been counselors and so forth, they're literally calling out the names of kids that they're looking for. It's like, where, you know, where are you? I'm here for you. And it, it, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Kids can get off the bus and just look shocked, like, what? And they're going, you know, they're calling their name. Am, am I right? Is that the way it is up there? Yeah. They're calling their name. They're, they're calling their name. They're going, we've got a place for you. We love you. We've been looking for you to come here. That's what we need to tell Taylor, people. We need to tell, we love you. We care about you. We're not holier than thou. We just love you. We just want to gift you. We just want to serve you. We just want to help you. We just want you to know our Jesus. We want you to see how beautiful He is. We want you to know your sins can be forgiven. We we want you to know that you don't have to labor as a slave to sin anymore because we care about you. We love you. Jesus died for you. Imagine a place like that. Imagine a people like that. That's never going to get old. That's never going to go out of style. That's always going to work. That's what I want to be. And that's what you should want to be too. I, mean, I know you do. Last night I'm coming home, and I realized that you know the, the, the we I had a car serviced and and they uh, and and they, um, uh, uh, flushed back flushed the heater core, and then the car would heat up real nicely because if your car had you, you could have luxury. Accoutrements in your car, but if it doesn't get warm on a cold night, it's not nice. You, know, you can have great tires and you can have all kinds of fancy things going on, but if it's cold, have you ever had a car that the heater didn't work on a really cold night? That is miserable. That is serious misery. You can have everything else going, but if that heater doesn't work, that's the way it is in the church, you understand. God has given to us everything that we need. And of course we have this beautiful building, we have this wonderful heritage, we have the word of God, we have all kinds of things. Now we turn the heat on and turn the heat up and we need to welcome people and, and, and walk with, with Jesus. And when we walk with Jesus, there's going to be a magnetism to that, and there's going to be an attractiveness about that. Can, can I just say this before I'm done? So are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you taken uh, Jesus' offer of forgiveness for your sins? And, and if that's true, then, have you followed him in baptism? And do you faithfully practice his commands? Because that's what he said. And it doesn't have to be fancy. I like things that are simple. And I love this about Jesus because the way he taught for us to operate as a church really isn't complex. It's really very simple. As a matter of fact, on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock, we have a Bible study, and I'm preaching through, and this little Bible study meets out over in the conference room, we're preaching through, simply preaching through the epistles of John. I know some of you are in small groups, and so you, you, you're, that's where you are. But if you're, you're welcome to come and join us. But last Wednesday night, as I was studying and preaching through the epistles of John, it kind of hit me. Here is, this book is written by John the Apostle, right? This is... A near associate of Jesus, one of the three in the inner circle, it's John the Apostle. Imagine, imagine that if we said we need, to, we, need to, we need to pick the brain of somebody who knows how church should be, John would be a really good guy to ask, right? And so what did John the Apostle, they say when he got really, really old, of course he wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote the Epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he wrote the Revelation, he was on the Isle of Patmos, he was really close to Jesus... So this guy was seriously connected, right? And he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when he wrote 1 John, it was late in his life. And he's an elderly man. And they say in church history that they literally would carry him in. He couldn't even walk. They would carry him in. And with a very weak voice, he would tell the church what the church needed to hear. And you can see it. It's in 1 John. What does he basically say? He doesn't give anything fancy or complex. Not at all. You know what he says? He says, love one another. That's what he says. And I imagine somebody pressing him, some young buck, you know, pressing him like, yeah, I know, but, you know, what's the program here? And he's like, love one another. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, what do we do when and how do we, you know, how do we put that on a spreadsheet? And he's like, love one another. I've been a close associate of Jesus. I've been on the Isle of Patmos. It doesn't get any better than this. Just love one another. Now I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, you know what? That would be something. Imagine a people like that. Imagine a place like that. I would love to find a place like that if I could just find a place like that. You see, that's wrong thinking altogether, right? Because what Jesus wants us to do is to be a people like that. Don't go looking for a place like that. Decide to be a person like that. Decide your family is going to be a Jesus walking with Jesus family. You are going to be a walking with Jesus man You are going to be walking with Jesus' woman. This church is going to be a walk with Jesus' church. Amen? All right, let's stand and we're going to sing as we close.